Joshua chapter 14 this morning. So if you've got uh, your Bible, track it down in your uh, device or your Bible, or if you're working out of the, the church Bibles that are on the pew in front of you, page 211, uh, Joshua chapter 14. It's a story of a father, but in some ways it's a story for all of us as well. Joshua chapter 14. Now what's happening in the story of Joshua is they're to the point now they have conquered essentially in some cases. It's, we're told they've conquered all the territory that they need to conquer. There's still work to be done, but essentially the conquest of the land that God has promised the children of Israel has taken place, and now it's time to divide up the land. Uh, the tribes on the east side of the Jordan, if we can have the slide, the tribes on the east side of the Jordan already have their territory, and as we remember from the beginning, they helped the children of Israel take control of the land on the west side of the Jordan. So the east side of the Jordan already has their territory and their land, and now it's time to divide up the land for the rest of the nine and a half tribes of the nation of Israel. In the first five verses of chapter 14, just sort of lay the setting, what's important for us to know, uh, notice is verse 5. So the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So there's a recurring pattern in the book of Joshua that Joshua does what Moses told him, Joshua does what God told Moses. And so there's this recurring pattern of obedience and faithfulness to what God has called them to do, and that continues even in the dividing of the land. Now what happens with the dividing of the land Two very significant people serve as bookends for the dividing of the land. The first person we're introduced to when the land on the west side of the Jordan is divided is named Caleb, and that's who we're going to be talking about today. A uh, very significant individual. The person who gets the last allocation of land at the end of chapter 19 is Joshua. And in between, the other tribes get their portions of the land that God had promised to Abraham. But it's interesting the two of the key people, Caleb, who has not been heard of till up to this point, and Joshua are the bookends around the dividing of the land. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Now the people of, of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a Kenizzite, said to him, now by the way, a Kenizzite is not an Israelite. Um, a Kenizzite is someone who uh, years ago lived in this land of Canaan. So J Caleb's background is as an outsider. He is not an Israelite. He is not from one of the tribes, one of the sons of Jacob. J Caleb is an outsider. Now, it's not the first time we've ran into an outsider who is faithful in the book of Joshua. We ran into that after chapter 1, where Joshua is told to be strong and courageous and the children of Israel are told to be strong and courageous, who do we meet? We meet Rahab. Rahab is not an Israelite. She is a Canaanite. And she is strong and courageous. And so here again, it's an outsider that sort of gets first, first attention. So it's important for us to understand uh, Caleb, his background, is, his background is with the people of Israel, but his origin is Canaanite. Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me, 
So this is Caleb talking to Joshua. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But the others who went up with me, they made the hearts of the people of Israel melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years. So Caleb is now 85 years old when he's having this conversation with Joshua. He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as when I was then. Don't we wish. <laughs> I'm playing senior slow pitch, or as my grandsons call it, old man baseball. And I heard a story. Uh, it was my first year in the league, and I'd heard a story about an 85-year-old guy named Bill. And he could hit the ball wherever he wanted to hit it. And as it turns out, Bill is on my team. But what I didn't know about Bill, because there's been a couple of situations when we've played, we play Monday, Wednesday mornings, Bill has had to run as fast as he could. And I keep calling, I say to Bill, they never told, they told me you could hit, they didn't tell me you could run. So Bill's 84. And so Bill's in my background here when I read those about the vigor and the vitality and the energy of, of Caleb at 85 years old. Right? You and I only wish. Verse 12. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day, 45 years ago. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly, third time. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Now all this goes back to the story in the book of Numbers. And if you want to turn back a few pages in the church Bibles, back to page 136, page 137, go back to Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. It's a story about the 12 spies. And I can't help getting the Sunday school song out of my head. 12 men went to spy on Cain and 10 were bad and two were good. I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not sure if bad's the best word, right? I mean, they were scared. They were scared. Does fear make you a bad person? Mm. A little more on that later. So we go back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. It's, it's, it's the spies. They're sent out. They're down in Kadesh Barnea, and they're sent out. And this is the route where they went to search out the land and see what it was like. And they came back with two very different reports. There was a majority report and there was a minority report. The majority report says this is mission impossible. The minority report said, we can do this. God promised it to us. We can do this. It's ours. It's ours for the taking. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. 
Caleb tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him answered, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread discouraging reports about the land among the Israelites. Faith versus fear. In fact, it almost cost Joshua and Caleb their lives. Go over to chapter 14. Go over to chapter 14 and verse 6. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore, tore their clothing. They said to the community of Israel, the land we explored is a wonderful land and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Verse 10. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. A whole different use for that pile of rocks. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites from above the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? So that's the background. That's the background of the story. And 45 years later, Caleb comes to Joshua and says, You know, I remember what Moses told me. I remember the promise that Moses gave me. And he comes to Joshua and he asks for that promise to be fulfilled. Numbers chapter 14, though, tells us something about Caleb. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, there's a, a very interesting turn of phrase that's used to describe Caleb. God says with all this rebellion and all this faithlessness on the part of his people, God says something about Caleb. Verse 24, but my servant Caleb is different from the others. Uh, some translations say my servant Caleb is of a different spirit. Not just compared to the Israelites. Don't forget Moses and Joshua are in this group as well. And God singles out Caleb and, and it's kind of like he says, Moses, you need to realize Caleb is cut from a different cloth than anybody else. Caleb, he's wired differently. So it's not just compared to the faithless Israelites. That, that sets him apart from Moses. That sets him apart, I believe, from Joshua. Caleb is, is of a different spirit from the others. Different, I told you, he was already different. Ethnically different. I told you his background is, is Canaanite, not Jewish. He is ethnically different. <laughs> he, even the translation of his name, if you were to translate his name, it means dog. And if you know something about what Jewish people, especially in the time of Jesus, thought about Gentiles, they called them dogs. Caleb definitely is different. But it's the different spirit. He follows God wholeheartedly. And God says, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. He follows God wholeheartedly. He has remained loyal to me. Wholehearted. It, three times back in Joshua, back to Joshua chapter 14, three times Caleb is described, self-described, as having followed God wholeheartedly. 
fully behind God would be another way to translate the, the Hebrew language and the Hebrew words for it. He's fully behind God. He is, he is full of God. And realize that, that heart isn't just talking about your emotions, right? To love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It, it's all inclusive. It's everything about us. To, to follow God wholeheartedly, he is, as we would say, he is all in all the time. He follows God. He is behind God with his whole being. And there's this energy that starts to sort of surface in, in the description in the description of Caleb. Uh, there's a sense of vigor, there's vitality. He's, he's ready to fight. He is totally engaged with what's going on. He, there's, there's vision, there's mission, and there's a sense of continual replenishment. I, I think I got the sermon title wrong. I think I got the sermon title wrong. One More Mountain to Climb kind of has that, oh, woe is me. It kind of reminded me of a Johnny Cash song, a later Johnny Cash song. Right? That's the picture. Okay, stop. That's too depressing. <laughs> I mean, I, I got that. I still play it in the car when I need it, right? But, but that's not Caleb. And so I think my sermon title sort of was going in the wrong direction. It's not, oh, one more mountain to climb. It's like, let's go. I'm, I'm here. Let's, let's, what are we waiting for? There's energy. There's vitality. There's, there's engagement. There's a sense of as he follows God wholeheartedly, that, that his wholeheartedness is met with this replenishment and then one step makes the next step stronger. What's that like? What's that like? I remember when my grandsons, we, we have three of them, and I remember when my grandsons were sort of stable enough and had enough stiff enough back and so on that you could lift them up and put them on my shoulders. Had to be careful, right? But, but, and, and I remember distinctly one time early on in doing that, putting my grandson on my shoulders, the song that came to me was the Josh Groban song, You Raise Me Up. Not about me picking him up and putting him on my shoulders. It was about him raising me up being on my shoulders and being with me. That the connection. And, and it, it sort of came to even be more realized after some grandpa daycare days or when we were busy and, and doing stuff with the boys. And, and at the end of the day, man, just dog tired. But you know what? By the next day, it's like, where are they? Let's do it again. It's that, it's that replenishment that comes from that engagement with what's going on. Now, I know I can't have my grandsons every day, but I almost feel like I could. And then, you know, that's when the grandparent comes along and says, well, that's why we have grandkids, we have kids when we're younger, right? Because we don't have to do it every day. But there's a sense in which I almost think I could do it every day. Almost what I'd love to do it every day. But that is like, I'm dog tired. It's a good tired. But the next day comes and it's like, man, I miss him already. What's up with that? What's up with that? What's, what's going on? 
that's how much I love them. I think the, the love factor just kind of replenishes and repurposes and reinvigorates. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And so Joshua wholeheartedly loves the Lord, follows the Lord, is behind the Lord with his whole being. And there's this, there's this sense of replenishment. Another a better sermon title might have been Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A long obedience in the same direction. That's a far cry from when my wife and I got to our first church in Northern Ontario. And I don't know how many weeks into our being at this first church. We had our, Stephen, our little guy, was uh, a little over a year, year and a half maybe, and Sharon was expecting Jennifer. And Sharon had an encounter with the lady who used to run the nursery. And the encounter basically went like, well, I've done my time. It's on you now. Most of us won't say that, but we'll think it. A long obedience in the same direction. I remember something Chuck Swindoll said, success is finishing well. Caleb finishes well. Caleb finishes well. 40 years plus five years of, of conquest, and now it's his turn, and he's demonstrating what it means to be strong and courageous. And basically what he's doing, he's remembering what God said through Moses. He's remembering the word of God, his, his sustenance, his, his vision, his mission, his, his sense of what God wants him to do is based on remembering what God said. For you and I, we have that in the word of God. What was it Jesus said? My, my food, my meat, is to do the will of him who sent me. How else am I going to know what the will of the one who sends us is going to be unless I'm feeding, not, not vitamins, not vitamins, feeding. Some of you won't like this, but if all you've got every day is daily bread, that's you're living on vitamins. It's not meat. Feed, feed, dig. Eat the book. So, and then when I was when I was thinking about the grandson factor and this sort of replenished and re-energized and ready to go the next day, it reminded me of a couple of passages of scripture. One's probably more familiar than another. It's the one where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm meek and humble in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's easy, it's light because of the, the love. Because of the love we have for our Savior. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. I can't carry the boys, the two older boys, the seven-year-olds, I can't do them on my shoulder anymore. I'd love to try. Probably kill, kill myself in, in the process, but I'd love to try. Or they'll, I can just picture them doing a header, right, and face plant. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It doesn't seem burdensome. Then, then I remembered another verse from 1 John chapter 5. Turn to first, if you got your Bibles, 1 John chapter 5. It's this little phrase buried in a very familiar verse. 
First John chapter five, verse three. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. First John five, three. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. If I understand what it means to love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, his, whatever he asks me to do isn't too hard to do. It's not burdensome. It's not drudgery. It's not like that commercial where the, the lady or the guy is carrying dead on their shoulders, right? It's not like that at all. Why? This is love for God. Verse before, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. for a little sidebar here for a moment and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this but this whole thing about the land right the children of Israel going back to the promised land and taking the land interesting thing happens in the New Testament the land the promised land is is barely even referred to let alone specifically talked about Jesus never mentions anything about the promised land or the promise to Abraham about where Uh, God would settle his people. The land dominates the Old Testament. And some of the key things to remember related to the land in the Old Testament are, are that it's received as an inheritance. It will be kept as long as they're obedient and it's based on loyalty, faith, and, and following God. But the idea of the land is almost totally absent from the New Testament. And there's a range of interpretations about what to do with the land. There's a view that holds the literal fulfillment of the land that Israel is entitled to, the land as God promised it in the same territory as God promised it. Then there's another view that has more of a spiritualized or universalized approach, that the land actually becomes the world as the Gentiles are welcomed in uh, to the family of God. And then Hebrews chapter three and four takes it to a different level in the sense of it's a promise rest. So the land is gone and what becomes the, the promise is the promise of rest. There's a range of views related to that. But there's very not, not very much said in the New Testament specifically about the land. So what happens to the land and the promise of abundance and bounty and blessing? And realize that it's a second, it's not a primary theological issue. It's not in the main statement in any denomination's doctrinal statement that I know about, about what's your view of the land and whether it, it is Israel's, it belongs to Israel, or it will be Israel's. It's a secondary doctrinal issue, and there's, there's freedom for disagreement, or at least there should be, on the topic. I believe there is a future for literal Israel, and I think Romans 9 to 11 talks about the future for Israel. But I also believe that the promised inheritance is available to all God's people, Jew and Gentile. And the Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, is the assurance, Ephesians chapter one, the Holy Spirit is the assurance of our inheritance. As followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the assurance of our inheritance. He is the guarantee that the promise of God will be ours. And I think the land gets swallowed up in the gift of the Holy Spirit because one of the outcomes of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. 
and the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey, the promise of crops that are abundant and overflowing, and the promise of, of vineyards that are just overproducing. The fruit of the Spirit is the blossoming of the benefits of God in the life of his people. So I, some aspect of the land promise is then, I think, placed on the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes to every follower of Jesus. There is the gift of the Spirit. All of us have been given a gift. Just as the Israelites were given a piece of land, you and I are given a spiritual gift to be part of the kingdom of God. And the result of the use of that gift is the fruit of the Spirit, the blossoming of the benefits of God in the life of his people and to the benefit of the people around them. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. Talked about the gift of the Spirit to the church. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. No, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by Joel the prophet. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people, God says. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. They're alive. They're engaged. They're invigorated. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon will become as blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Pentecost is the fulfillment of God's promise. This is what the prophets were talking about, Peter says. This is that which was promised by the prophets, the day of the Lord, the coming of God, the new covenant. It's the fulfillment of the promise, a new covenant, a new heart, a new spirit. Because when the spirit comes, now all God's people can serve wholeheartedly. Now all the people of God, young and old, men and women, everybody can serve with all their being, fully behind God, fully filled with God. Wholehearted, full of God, full of his spirit. So I just made this transition, right? We were talking about the land, just... FYI, a little bit of an FYI, what happens to the land. And one little aspect of the land that I think we sometimes forget, and, and the two things that put it together for me are the idea that the Spirit is a gift, and the Spirit gives gifts. The land was a gift. And this other idea that the land is an inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee and the assurance of our inheritance. But the Holy Spirit is really hard for us to get our heads around. I think simply because he's invisible. He's in some ways intangible. Can't see him, can't touch him, can't taste him, can't feel him. He's a spirit. And so that's where the spiritual gifts and the spiritual fruit come in. Those are the, the evidences. Those are the signs that the Holy Spirit is at work. So part of following God wholeheartedly and part of the example that Caleb gives us as someone who followed God wholeheartedly is to go and take the gift that's being offered to you. 
Pursue the gifts that God has given you. Pursue the gifts that God has given us because as a body of Christ, we have a variety of gifts to make us the body that God wants us to be. We complement, we supplement, we enhance one another, but we're different. Pursue the gift that God has given us, just like Caleb did. He says, give me that mountain. Not one more mountain. Not, oh man, not another fight. Give me that mountain. Pursue the gifts that God has given you. My scripture union study guide put it this way. Many Christians have no interest in discovering what God has given them, and therefore they never enjoy it. I had been lead pastor at Living Hope Alliance in Regina for a couple years, and we talked about spiritual gifts one board meeting, and one of my board members who had been, uh, I don't think he was a board member when Pastor Sipley was there, but he had been around a long time. He was on the board again, on the cycle. And I remember we were talking about spiritual gifts and, it, and after he came up to me and he had already retired from his job, he says, you know, Pastor, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know how, if, if Caleb is somebody who's, who's wired differently, how has God wired you? What is it that resonates with you? What is it God has equipped you with to do his task and to compliment other people in this congregation, in this body of believers. Pursuing the gift that God has given us. That's, that's, that's wholeheartedly. Another part of that though is what will the Spirit fill us with? I think the first reflex when it comes to what will, what will I gain by, by being filled with the Spirit? I think the, the number one thing we think of, I think, I could be wrong and correct me if I'm wrong, is power. Power. When the Spirit comes, He comes in power. That's what Pentecost was all about. That's what these people speaking in other languages in Acts chapter 2 was all about. Uh, they saw the power of the Spirit unleashed on the people that had been waiting for the promise from God. There are times we need power. I needed power on Friday. Sad to say I didn't use it. I was with one of my grandsons. We went, I had him overnight and for the day and we went to the Y to swim. And we were in the change room after swimming and we were getting dressed and a couple of the bodybuilders, some of the weightlifters came in the, the men's change room. Uh, didn't take too long eavesdropping on the conversation to go, you didn't have to say that. And then I've got this battle going on in me, like, do I just holler over the lockers and say, hey, family, family atmosphere. My grandson's here. Never mind my grandson. I don't like to, I don't like to hear it. And I know some of you live with this stuff every day in your job site. I, I pray for you. But... Here I am, and, and there's just me and Bennett, and there's the two guys on there. There's nobody else in the change room. Couldn't say anything. I just didn't have the courage. I didn't have the guts. I was too, these guys are way bigger than me. This guy's bigger than Graham. And you've seen me and Graham standing beside each other, and this guy's bigger than Graham. I mean, he plays his own music in the gym and nobody tell, in the locker room, and nobody tells him to turn it off. That's my excuse. Point is, I failed my grandson. We need power. 
No question, we need power. Being strong and courageous needs power. I've got some follow-up work to do with Bennett. But I think I let him down. But be careful what we do with power. We like power because we think it's our point-counterpoint, right? It's, it's our way to fight back. There are times, and, and Dave Hearn, our president, on, on um, Wednesday morning, uh, Wednesday morning, Tuesday morning, maybe Tuesday morning, in his report, talked about how we need to be bold warriors. So as I'm, as I'm reprocessing, I tell you, a two-hour drive from Regina to Estevan on a Sunday morning really helps you process stuff. <laughs> and you might not think that's a good, th- I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing because some things needed to be reloaded for me. And David talked about being bold warriors. Now he's talking about witness. I'm just talking about protecting this little kid from the garbage that's around him. And I couldn't do it. So the song that Rick and the team sang at the beginning had these words in it. Fill me with your heart to those around me. So I, I think there's, there's two sides to being filled with the Spirit. One is filled with power, and it's not just power to fight, and it's not just power to do battle. It's power to serve. It's power to love. It's power to surrender. It's power to obey. But the other side of it is fill me with your heart. Fill me with your heart to those around me. Wow, what difference would that make? Fill me with your heart, God, to those around me. Strength and courage to love as God loves. Strength and courage to obey. And you know what happens? The other part of the Caleb story in Joshua chapter 15, you know what he does? His daughter comes and asks him for a chunk of his land, this land that he has just hard fought for, and his daughter, who ends up being married to one of the judges, Othniel, comes to him and says, Dad, can I have a chunk of land? And Caleb just gives it away. He says, sure, here, dear. Two things, right? For the the female to ask for land is, is pretty rare, and... Caleb had no reason to give her land. It just didn't happen that daughters got any land, especially when she's got a, uh, a husband who can uh, take care of things. But Joshua, or Caleb's generosity, he just shares his land with his daughter. So what do we want the Holy Spirit to fill us with? Do we want the Holy Spirit to fill us with power or do we want the Holy Spirit to fill us with God's heart? Well, why does it have to be either or? Why can't it be both? Why can't it be both? Why can't we, there are times when we need power. I told you about my time I needed power this week and I didn't use it. But there are times we need the heart of God too. And sometimes we confuse the two and think we need power when actually we need God's heart. It's not either or. It's just like, here it is. We've got, we've got heat and air conditioning today. Heat's on, thankfully, because it was what? Six, seven degrees out this morning, but the worship team needed some air conditioning, so the fans are on. We've got both going. It, it can be done. It can be done. To serve, to follow God wholeheartedly is to be full of God, to be full of His Spirit in New Testament terminology. And the result was that Caleb was of a different spirit. Caleb was different from the others. 
Is it possible for people to say that Estevan Alliance Church is different from the others? That's not a put down. That's not a put down of Moses. That's not a put down of Joshua. That's not a put down of the other churches. Is it possible to people to say that Estevan Alliance Church is different from the others? That they are a church that follows and serves God wholeheartedly? To truly, sacrificially, and unselfishly love each other? Is it possible that that's what these stones could mean if one of those stones is Caleb? If those stones mean following God wholeheartedly, individually and corporately? The Alliance Vision Prayer is on the inside of your bulletin, and it goes like this. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. That's wholeheartedness. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come and transform us. Make us a different spirit. Make us different from the others. Transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. Help us to be a church that truly, sacrificially, and unselfishly loves each other. The fundamental issue that faced the Israelites was the issue of courage and faithfulness. Be strong and courageous. Stick with it. Finish the task. Caleb is an example, not just of fight, but of full obedience. It's more than power. He reflects the Father heart of God. When you look at those rocks, maybe next time you see those rocks, you could say those rocks, those stones, what do these stones mean? They mean wholeheartedness. They mean pursuing the gifts that God has given us so we fit together and complement one another and support one another and help one another. They also mean we are of a, of a different spirit. Doesn't mean we will always agree, but we know how to disagree. Doesn't mean we will always get along, but we know how to reconcile. Doesn't mean we will always get things right. but we will admit our faults and where we mess up to each other. We share our successes. We share each other's failures. Why? Because God's commands of responsibility for one another are not burdensome if we love him and if we love each other. There's an old song. There's an old song that is a prayer. It's an invitation. It's a way for you to verbalize your consecration and your desire to be 
have, have a different spirit, to be wholehearted in your following after God. It goes like the spirit of the living God fall fresh on me. When we started Joshua chapter one, we said, hey, they were called, Joshua called them to consecrate themselves, to purify themselves. And you know what I said? I said, the pastor can't do it. Joshua couldn't do it for them. And the priest couldn't do it for them. They had to do it for themselves. I know what this song means to me. I think I gave you a little window in it this morning. I trust that this song will be a window for you to allow God to break through and to break in.